0: Well, good morning, church, and welcome to our service. Welcome to those online as well and those that will watch this later. Hello to you. It's great to be in worship with you this morning as the sun comes out. I feel like it's been a couple cloudy weeks. I don't know about you, but the sun is brilliant today, and uh, I'm really enjoying that. I hope you are, too. And uh, we are in a sermon series. Yeah. So this is week four of our part four of our sermon series. So if you haven't been with us, want to catch you up just real quick on where we've been and what we've been doing. We've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. And specifically, we've been talking about rebuilding the wall. First week we looked at was grieving, if you want to kind of put a subtitle to each week. First week we looked at the idea of grieving and what Nehemiah went through when he was told that the people of Jerusalem were in dire straits and that the walls were still destroyed. Then we looked up the idea that at some point he took upon himself to t- step up and take risks. So Part two, if you will, would be subtitled, Step Up. And so he actually put his life on the line by going to the king and talking to the king. The third week, which was last week, we looked at this kind of idea. If you want to put kind of a subtitle to it, it was Be Ready. And you remember when the time came for him to finally talk to the king and he actually put himself on the line, the king asked him, what is it you want? And, of course, he had an answer in that moment. And so he was ready for that moment. And he understood what were the big things that had to be set up before he could go do all the other things to actually build the wall. And so he knew what to ask for. He knew where to go and knew how to build a wall to make the city of Jerusalem safe for what people of God needed to do. Well, this week, if you're going to subtitle part four, it would be this fun word for you today, opposition. Yay. Yeah, I know, you're really excited about that, aren't you? Opposition, opposition. Because guess what? When you read the book of Nehemiah, it didn't come easy. Even though he had the letter from the king, the blessing of the king, and all the different things, and the retinue of the king coming and protecting him and doing all these things, he came down to Jerusalem and when he came to Jerusalem, there were specifically three people and their people groups that did not like what Nehemiah was doing. And so the three that we just read just a minute ago was Sanballat, Tobiah, or Tobiah, that is, and Geshem. And these three were kind of local rulers of the areas. We can get into more detail who exactly they are and all those things, but that's kind of outside the purview of today. But just know that there are some people groups around the Israelites, and part of why they're in dire straits is these people groups wanted to put them down. They didn't want the city of Jerusalem built. They didn't want the people of God to come back because they were profiting and doing all sorts of great things, and they themselves were benefiting from the destruction of Jerusalem themselves. And so to have Jerusalem rise up and be another center of trade and another place for people to go and the, people of Drew, the Jews, that is, to come back and to find a place of worship was something that was a threat to not only their culture, their way of life, but in many ways, their power as well. As we read in the story, it says, I just want to read to you that one little part again real quick. It says, when these three people heard this, the first thing they did was they mocked and they ridiculed. Then the second thing they did, they asked this question, what is it you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I want to just take an example here. We're going to kind of look at some different oppositions Nehemiah faced. But this first one, if you're going to kind of categorize it, it would be the doubters, right? Whenever you're going to do a good thing, whenever you've got God on your side and God's calling you to do something, I've found this to be true, is that there's always opposition, right? <laughs> I've never had anything just happen where it was like it just smoothly went and nothing, ever, you know, nothing hard ever came of it. There's always some sort of opposition. One of the oppositions we can face whenever we do a good thing is the doubters, or maybe even just doubt itself in our own minds, but specifically sometimes even people that speak doubt into our life. And for Nehemiah, this was Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and they ridiculed it, said, and they mocked. And then an example of biblical gaslighting takes place, right? You guys know what the gaslighting, that term means, right? It's a famous kind of, it was actually one of the words of the year kind of thing in the dictionaries this last year, but gaslighting is that idea of when somebody tells you an untruth and they say it so forcefully and so matter-of-factly and they do it over and over again that you almost question yourself and start to believe it, Right? And you're going to see gaslighting go on to Nehemiah here by these rulers. And they come and they say, are you rebelling against the king? Which is funny because Nehemiah has in his hand the papers of the king's signature saying, you have permission to go do this, my blessing to go do this, go and do this, right? And so this, his enemies are trying to gaslight him and threaten him in these ways. And so you can see this idea that Nehemiah responds to each of these in kind of some unique ways that may help us as well to kind of Go through whatever doubt is kind of in our heads or maybe people speaking in our life, the doubts of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to build. And that is this. He responds with confidence. Here again what he says real quick. He answers by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. and then, But as for you, you will share no share of Jerusalem or any historic right to it. Which was true because the Jews were building it so once this becomes a place, it's kind of understood that Nehemiah was probably going to become a short governor over time. They're going to get kind of their own unique spot, niche, if you will, in the Persian kind of aristocracy kind of thing. And it actually is a big deal. But notice he responds to doubt with confidence. Now, I want to just kind of lay out confidence, the specific confidence Nehemiah has, because it's a little different. Like, we hear about confidence all the time, right? Many of you saw uh, the, the, I'm sorry about Bengals fans, but the, the game last week and, uh, right, the thing that was said by the broadcasters over and over and over is, you know, the quarterbacks especially of those two teams, look at the confidence, right? And look at the confidence that they have that instills in other people. And we use confidence in all sorts of words, and all sorts of ways. But for Nehemiah, there was a concrete confidence, and it was based on these two ideas. First of all, God is at work, that God is not done. So Nehemiah had confidence in that. He wasn't just blindly saying, I have confidence because, you know what, we're so good, we can do this, or, you know, I'm just going to trick myself into positive energy, and if I just get enough positive energy, good things will kind of come from it, or I'll just kind of motivate people. It wasn't any false motivation. It was the true idea, the true belief in his heart and soul, God was at work. God was not done. And you can combine that with the second, is that this, is that building the wall was a good thing. He believed it in his heart. You'll notice through this book of Nehemiah how many times when it talks about the rebuilding of the wall, it doesn't even say rebuilding of the wall, it just says, this good work, as he describes it. In other words, he had confidence in God, was not done. And he had confidence in the fact that what they were doing was good. It was what God wanted. So he had no question about the ultimate outcome. There was no question about the success, as he says in this word, that God's going to give us success. And the basis of that was not because he just wanted to do it, the basis, because he thought God was up to something, and he was obedient to God, and God was going to reap a harvest to the obedience that was sown. See, confidence is a powerful thing. I heard the story of how sometimes people sow doubt, and um, many of you, I've actually heard the story from numerous people, but I'll tell a specific one. And that is that when someone was young, remember hearing the story that when someone was young, one of their uh, teachers, specifically at church, right, one of the choir people uh, that was teaching the children, you know, the do their child, you know, choir and all this stuff, told one of the kids you are no good at singing. This is not your thing. You should stop. You don't need to be part of this, right? Now, you guys, I know our choir people are appalled right now, right? Well, let me tell you the rest of that story. That was Chris Tomlin. He shared that story when he got up and received the Dove Award, which is kind of like a, for Christian music. It was kind of like the big yearly, you know, award, if you will. I can't remember what year. It was back in the 2000s. Right? And if many of you know or keep up with contemporary music, you know, in the least early 2000s to mid-2000s there, Chris Tomlin was one of the main people putting out music for him to listen to and to worship to. And it was a total gift of what he gave the church to be able to use these songs and meditate on them and, and seek them. But someone in his life so doubt, but he kept going. God was at work. What he wanted was a good thing, and look what became of it confidence is what we're talking about when doubt comes our way. The second of one of this is you find it, and if you go through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to start jumping around a bit, but if you go to chapter four and verse one, guess what? These three people show up again. The three people that were the doubters are no longer just doubters. They're more than that this time and mockers. This time they just try outright sabotage. And what they're doing is actually they come together. It says that in the scripture here that, that Sanballat heard that the rebuilding of the wall was actually going on. He became angry and greatly incensed. You know, he ridiculed again, but in the presence of associates and the army of Samaria, he asked, what are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, he gathered up the army, and then they start making threats. If you go and read it, they come to the Jerusalem, and they come to Nehemiah, and they basically start making this presence known of sabotage. We are just going to attack you when you least expect it. And the Jews, of course, see this, and the Jews get to understand this and start kind of complaining and all this stuff. And Nehemiah, they don't stop rebuilding the wall, but they have to do it a little differently. It says in the Scripture that they all had their spears and swords in one hand and built the wall with the other. And there were certain guards that were set around the people that were rebuilding that stood there and kept sight, and they had horns ready for whenever they would be sabotaged and attacked or suddenly surprised that they would blow the horn and even though Jerusalem is a big area, there's not a lot of people, they could go, and go to wherever the fighting was going on and back up their brothers and protect the people. You see, whenever we encounter sabotage, you have to be prepared to fight. Now I say that because, of course, when we say Jesus in this story, of course, it's literal. They're literally ready to fight when it comes. When the fight comes to them, there's a, there's a point in the sand where they're going to fight for it. Now, for us, I don't think fight is the right word because, of course, we have the teachings of Jesus. We understand our fight is not with swords or spears. Our fight is in a different way, a spiritual fight. And even in the ways of Jesus, it's much different. I think the right word for it is contend. And I know for many people that are kind of, you know, I've encountered many people in, in church, and even myself are sometimes this is whenever you encounter kind of clashes or kind of, you know, that rubbing of friction of people when they don't get, when people don't get along or when. Hard times come. It's easier to just kind of stick your head in the sand or walk away from it. You know, you just don't want to be part of the chaos, don't want to be part of that. But the simple truth is the people of God, when the time is right, get in the fight and contend. I've been seeing this more and more, and unfortunately, I think the times we live in, it's becoming more and more just part of everyday Christian walk. Uh, As always, there's always different things that people are promoting. and, And just this last week, I was sent from one of my pastor friends who's a lay pastor, not a lay pastor, but a licensed local pastor, if you will. And they said, hey, is there anything to this? And they sent me this link, so I opened the link and I go read it. And it's this theologian that's down in Atlanta, Georgia, at one of the schools, actually I visited, and almost went to, and the theologian was saying this, was saying, well, I don't really believe in the miracles and all those different things, but uh, when you read scripture, Mary is actually a slave. And Jesus was born a slave, and so he's actually a slave. And this whole story, even though the miracles aren't true and that's all made up, The the whole idea of emancipation, that's what Christianity is really about. And it all stemmed from, the whole argument stemmed from this one word, duolos that happens that Mary says. And he says it in the book of Luke. She says it, that is, in the book of Luke at the very beginning. Now, what the passage conveniently left out was that specific verse where Mary says that. She does use that word slave. We often translate servant in the scripture, but it actually more or less normally means slave in the words of scripture. But she says it right after she's been told, you're going to be with child, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And remember her words. She says this. She doesn't just say, I am a slave. She says, I am God's slave, right? Which, of course, doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, Paul used those terms when he walked around. And we know for sure he's not a slave. Like, those terms, when you put God's slave together, it's a different thing than just saying, I am a slave, right? And, And kind of that idea, that practical application. So anyways, we were talking about this and working through it. But what I found so interesting was the idea that the gospel, the belief that Jesus Christ is who the scriptures say was, that he actually was the Son of God, that he was born by this divine intervention by the Lord, and that God actually worked through the Virgin Mary, that God actually did these wonderful things, and that the miracles are real, and that the salvation Jesus offered is not just some, you know, like, physiological thing about slavery and end of that and all emancipation of people that it's actually truly about the souls of our hearts being born into sin and slavery and the redemption that happens because the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Church, 10 years ago, these conversations weren't happening with my pastor friends saying, is there anything to this, right? We're in a season and a way of life of contending for the gospel. And friends, it's coming to a theater new year. I was, I was doing a lot of research lately on AI, artificial intelligence. I don't know if you guys have kept up with this, but there's all the doomsayers that say, like, artificial intelligence is gonna come, you know, wipe us out and do all these different things. And I was kind of getting into it, you know, because, you know, for me, artificial intelligence is, hey, Google, tell me my song and sing it to me, right? <laughs> you know, and so I think of artificial intelligence at that level, and then, of course, I heard about the chat GPT that came out, you know, that basically, you can answer, like, college kids don't even have to know anything anymore, right? It literally can go and find information and it's almost to the point it can make a whole thesis, back it up, and write it for you by just saying, hey, type in a question, right? That's how good AI is getting, and Google is about to come out with something even better. Now, the reason why I say this is because if you think about the, the implications of that, there's certain websites, there's no people that write stories for them. AI doesn't. Think about that. Our news is, we're right on the verge of it happening. Our news is not going to be written by people. Our news is going to be written by artificial intelligence. What's was artificial intelligence programmed to do. It's programmed to make you click on it. And so what happens when this keeps cycling, when you keep doing this cycle over and over again, you're not going to know what's true and not. We're going to have to contend for just basic truths. Because AI is going to force feed. It's going to gaslight us, the irony of this. It's going to gaslight us untruths over and over and over again. And if we're not careful and if we're not, if we're not willing to contend, we're going to let it lead us astray to wherever we go. So you've got to be able to contend. And I love this, that when, it's so interesting that when uh, my, one of my pastor friends, we were talking about this, and he said, you know what, I've been praying in the season, Lord, Take this away. All the struggle, all this, all this friction, all this hurt, all the angst, all the unknowns, all these things that I had just prayed and prayed and prayed, you know, let it be over, let this be done, let the season end, and let's go on to something more peaceful. And uh, he, was, he was sharing with a group of people, he said, you know what, uh, the Lord answered me this way, he said, no. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not going to do that, but I will increase your tolerance and your threshold. This is the season of contention. You're going to have to contend. This is important for you. You're going to have to contend for the gospel, the basic beliefs in Christ. And it's not going anywhere, but I'll increase your ability to contend for it. And just like the people of God, I would say in Nehemiah, if we're willing to contend, the Lord will be with us. If we're willing to contend with one hand and build with the other, good things will happen. The final thing is this, is that you know the threat... That is kind of just underneath it all, and the sabotage, if you will, becomes very overt a little bit later. In chapter 6, basically, uh, Nehemiah and Sanballat and all of them are now talking again, and Tobiah and all of them are, are be having all this discourse, and basically, they're basically just, the gaslight's real now. The gaslight comes and says, you are doing this thing against our king, we are going to come crush you, right? And then there's all these other things that happen where they just try to do all sorts of sabotage, they pay off a prophet, and the prophet brings Nehemiah into the house of their house, and he says, hey, they're coming for us. We gotta go hide. Let's go to the temple, lock the doors, and hide in the temple, which is funny because the temple's not really truly built at this time. It's proud to be like some kind of makeshift form. Anyways, and so Nehemiah looks at them, and he answers this way. He says, who am I, right? And I love these words. I just wanna read it for you in 611. When this false prophet comes, these are the words that Nehemiah says. Should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, I will not go. And I realized God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. In other words, sometimes the sabotage that's underneath becomes very overt. And the threat is always normally coupled with an untruth. Right? Like every good lie has a lot of whole truth to it, and then there's that little part that's an untruth, Right? And what I love about this response is that when Nehemiah is dealt with it, he knows the core of who he is. If you read on, Nehemiah does some amazing things. He doesn't even take the allotment for the governors. Because he didn't want to make the people, like, have to pay for him. He actually brings his own food and pays for it himself during this time, even though he's supposed to get this allotment. He's that type of character because he knew who he was. And there was something inside of him that was a rock, that the water, when it came rushing up against just smashed against it and retreated back, right? And when the times came when it might be a fight on their hands, instead of going and protecting himself or hearing this false prophet, I love those words, what kind of man would I be? In other words, when that time does come, where not only is the thing and the threat, if you will, underneath, but it's very overt, simple truth is you have to be willing to stand. You have to be willing to say, I'm not running. Here I am, my line is in the sand. Well, at the end of chapter 6, chapter 7 starts, and it starts with these words. After the wall had been rebuilt, did you catch it? Got it, right? The doubters said, nope, we have confidence in what God's doing. When the sabotage or the destruction kind of underhandedly came, they were willing to contend and defend themselves. When the overt threats came, they said, I know who I am. I know where I stand. And I'm not running. In verse, chapter 7, verse 1, the wall was finished. You hear that? It got done. Through all this turmoil, all this opposition, the wall got done. Dear church, we're rebuilding walls. We're not there yet. But hopefully one day, even through opposition or whatever we go through. We're gonna look back and maybe 7-1 will apply as well. When the wall was rebuilt, the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers, the Levites were appointed. The wall was finished, the people got on with being the people of God and the worship started and they're here today. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your word and the story of Nehemiah, which once again challenges us exactly where we're at in so many ways. For Lord, if we're just here today, we know that there's probably voices not maybe made up in our own head or maybe even real people that say this cannot be done. We know that in the days ahead, there may be people that come alongside that want to profit from us from not being strong, maybe even other brothers and sisters of the faith. God, we know that sometimes that threat becomes very real, and we keep living in a world that becomes more and more against you. More and more it seems filled with hatred. And especially, Lord, it just bucks at your yoke. So, God, as we're here today, Lord, instill in us confidence. Instill in us a willingness to contend and to build with one hand and contend with the other. Finally, God. In the very depths of our souls, may we know who we are. So we will never flee, but we will stand. God, we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.